Thanks, guys. If you're visiting with us uh, this morning, um, we're going through the book of James right now. It's a book in the towards the end of your Bible, and if, and if you're trying to maybe even figure out, often we have people ask, you know, what Bible should I read or what should I get? This is, we use the ESV version here, um, if, so if you're looking for one, I encourage you to get it. Bring it here to church, because we, uh, we're committed to just kind of sticking to the Word and going through that. It helps, um, it just helps let God uh, dictate the themes and the directions of messages. Sometimes they get a little scary. Um, trying to preach through some of these questions they bring up, but uh, it's really good. It keeps us uh, in his word and what he wants. Um, As we're going through this, we're in James chapter 1, and we're going to start here in verse 12, and it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. These people James is writing were brand new Christians, new to the whole thing. This this all had just happened. He's writing a letter to them, trying to instruct them, hey, this is how you should live the Christian life. James is the, uh, most would say, he's the brother of Jesus. He's hung around Jesus, was discipled by Jesus, and he's writing them to, to encourage them and say, this is the path forward. And, and they're, they're facing a trial here because they, they, they have a question that they've been asking, and it's the question everyone asks is, who do I blame when I mess up? And we call it passing the buck. Passing the buck, uh, according to historians, whoever they are, who figure this stuff out, say the phrase actually came from poker. And back in the 1800s, uh, whoever won the pot would have to be the one that would then prime the pot, I guess, for the next round is how you would say it. And they would pass around a marker to make sure that the person wouldn't conveniently forget. And so what they would normally pass around is what they had handy, and it was buckshot. Um, And so they would pass buckshot around, and pretty soon it became known as passing the buck. Um, And whoever got the buck was obviously the next one to pony up. Harry Truman then, President Truman, made it famous when he said, the buck stops here, had a big plaque on his uh, desk in the Oval Office that said, the buck stops here. And so it turned into passing the buck became passing responsibility, passing the blame. Yogi Berra, famous baseball player uh, and coach, saying that for the younger generation, he's probably never heard of him, but uh, he said, I never blame myself when I'm not hitting. I just blame the bat. And if it keeps up, I change bats. After all, if I know it isn't my fault that I'm, not, that I'm not hitting, how can I get mad at myself? Passing the blame, passing the buck, it's part of what we do as people. And James is in this section of talking about trials. 
trials are coming. Trials will be a part of the, the human life. There's a long record of trials. In fact, in verse 12, he says, Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial, for he has stood the test. And, and we're not going to delve all into the crown of life here in verse 12, because he talked about it up uh, when, in the message in verses 2 through 4. But he brings up trials again. And as you read through the Bible, this idea of trials is all over and in fact, it's not even just all over the Bible. It's very clear that God intentionally brings us to places where we face trials. He brought a test, a trial to Abraham. Sacrifice your son for me. It was a test, a trial to see whether Abraham would trust in the Lord. Abraham did, and God blessed him because he passed the test, the trial. God tested Israel. In the wilderness, it says that. I tested Israel in the wilderness with the manna and water to see if they would follow me. Judges is full of God testing person after person after person to see whether they would pass the test. The famous trial we've all seen and know about is Job. The whole book is written about a test. Satan comes and says, I want to test this man's faith. I think if he faces a real trial, he'll bail. And God's like, yeah, go ahead. He's not going to bail. And of course, as it goes through, he doesn't, Baal, he stays true. He has faith in God. Over and over again, you see this reality that God tests his people. And James comes along here and he says, but let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself attempts no one. Where's the line between a test becoming temptation? You ever wonder that? Because a test sets us up to choose. And, and what happens in a test? Well, we end up getting tempted, right? I struggle with that. I remember growing up wondering about that. Where is that line? Because it feels the same to me. A test feels like temptation. And, and James is saying, but it's not temptation. And I'm like, but it feels like it. And how do you know? There's a, what makes it harder is there's this verse in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. We all know that. I remember growing up saying, well, why do I have to pray that? Like, if I stop praying that, does that mean he's going to lead me into temptation? I mean, James says he doesn't tempt. The prayer says, well, you better pray this because he just might lead you. I mean, that's the inference, right? That's what it feels like. The Greek and Roman mythologies of the time, the their religion of the day, was to blame the gods for everything. God's got the blame for all of it. Temptation, evil, they committed all these things. It was part of their theology, as it were, and, and it's one of the reasons why James is actually addressing it, because it's part of this whole culture. You can just blame the gods for everything, and James is saying, wait a minute, you can't blame God for everything. In fact, you have to be very careful here. When Job was going through his test, his property was taken, his kids were killed, his body was covered with sores, and his wife comes and tells him, you're still holding fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Often what happens in trials is people want to blame God for maybe what they've 
brought on themselves in temptation. As we answer this, there's two things we need to keep in mind. Well, there may be more, but two things strike me as as we seek to answer this. If, If you're bringing up the element of temptation, the assumption within that word alone is that there is a choice, a free will, meaning we had the ability to choose for God or choose against God. It's unstated, but it's assumed. God, in his design, created us with the ability to choose for or contrary to him. It's found throughout the Bible. He created this because he wanted to have a relationship with us where we loved him genuinely and worshipped him genuinely. It wasn't coerced or forced. And for it to be genuine, you have to be able to choose and have the option to choose contrary. And over and over again, God reveals these moments where that worship and that love is tested. And we're free to choose to love. We're free to choose to obey. Or not. The second part of understanding God's role in testing and how it's differentiated from temptation is understanding who God is. And James says this very clearly. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. It's an absolute. He's he's instructing them right now. Look, this is what you need to know about God. He's not like these other gods. He's the only God, but he is a holy God, a righteous God. Temptation is, not an, is this impulse towards sin, towards evil, and that's not in him. It's just not. There's no darkness in God. The Bible talks about there's not even a hint or a shadow of it. And to tempt someone is to imply that that desire is within that person. The obvious follow-up statement then, the logic logical follow-up statement is God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So whatever conversations James thinks people are having or might have about temptation and trials, he wants to make sure that you can't pass the buck on to God for tempting someone. You, You can't pass that on to him. It's a false premise. It's wrong. It's, it's a lie. It's evil thinking. So then how do you understand, lead us not into temptation? As you look at that, it's the prayer of a believer wanting to avoid sin themselves. And as if to say to God, God, do not permit me to go there. Do not allow me. Block the way to it. That's a good prayer. I like how James Hughes, he's a, uh, Kent Hughes, rather, a pastor, wrote this. He says, it's a moral impossibility for God to be tempted or to tempt others, and all logic must flow from this reality. You know, what's interesting, though, is that the common thread that plays out in temptation is blaming others. We like free will. We like free choice as long as it gives us benefits, but as soon as it starts to go sideways, we start to use that and say, oh, it's somebody else's fault. It really isn't my fault. 
we start to pass the buck. God gets the blame. I mean, you start off in the Bible, chapter 3, we're not very far into it. Adam and Eve have this tree. It's a test. Will they love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Will they use their free will to choose him, or will they choose contrary? They chose contrary. They were tempted by desires. And Adam's first response, God's walking in the cool of the day and, and, and then comes looking for them, and, and God confronts them and said, hey, you guys ate from the tree. And Adam's response is, the woman you gave me to be with me, well, she gave me the fruit of the tree. That's what happened. And I ate. And Eve's no better. She's like, well, that serpent deceived me, so I ate. Adam blames Eve, blames God first. Well, it's your fault you created her. And then blames her. And then she blames the serpent. Neither one of them said, I I, I did it. I just, I ate. I ate of the tree. Human nature is to blame others. We're factories of blame. We'll shift blame. We'll produce it by the truckload. It's not my fault. It's their fault. It's her fault. It's my parents' fault. It's the job's fault. It's my background, whatever. But it's not my fault. And James comes along and says, no, no, you can't blame God. Well, that's out. So then who do we blame? And James goes on to instruct and say, hey, look, this is how it all works out, guys. This is what it it looks like. And he says this, temptation. He starts to explain it. Each person is tempted when he or she is enticed by his, her own desire. He places it right at our feet. Each person's foot, feet, says, it's yours. It's not anybody else's. James says when temptation starts, someone is lured, enticed by his own desires. The words are actually fishing words. I knew I liked James. Fishing. Anytime you can get fishing within the word of God, it's obviously the sport of heaven, clearly. Um, so just, just saying that. Um, there's all kinds of lures out there. There's you got freshwater lures like with bass, and then you've got all kinds of like if you want to go fly fishing for trout, you've got all that. You got all the flies and different uh, whatever that gets complicated. You can go ocean, and they got their own lures for that, each designed to take their own fish. But there's there's actually one form of bait that just trumps them all, humiliates every fisherman out there who thinks he's all that, and it's the classic. You can't go wrong with the worm. The worm can be fished in every body of water, and fish will take it every day, which is annoying when you spend a lot of money on tackle, and then you just watch a kid with a Snoopy pole catching fish, (laughs) and somehow you justify it by saying, well, I'm I'm fishing with lures, and it's harder. Um, You ever think temptation is like fishing with lures? In this sense that what attracts one type of fish repulses another type of fish. Like you can use this lure 
on this day for this fish, use that lure in a different body of water doesn't work. Or for trout, or for bass, for bluegill, for whatever fish, walleye, perch, you get into the ocean. It, it's kind of interesting that temptation is like that. What tempts you is repulsive to somebody else. And what tempts somebody else is repulsive to you. Have you ever had those moments? And it gets really bad in churches where it becomes legalistic and, and you create this environment, how could they ever do? Clearly, they're not in touch with their own temptation because everybody is tempted. And what snags you probably disgusts me and what snags me probably disgusts you. Right? That's, that's temptation. It's, it's like fishing lures. We're all the same. We're all tempted by desires. God has put in us desires that are good, that are holy, and they get twisted and warped. And when we start to meet those outside of God, that's temptation. Temptation is fulfilling these desires in warped ways and wrong ways. What desires did you have this past week that you were tempted to fill outside of God's plan? I think we all had them, right? We were all tempted this past week. And temptation looks so good. I mean, you, you go back to the, the lure, it looks good. It promises food. It promises a better life. It promises you'll feel better. And, and, and like a fish, you'll even leave safety to go get it. Not realizing it hooks you, hooks me. James talks about this enticement and lure, temptation is. And he explains, then shifting his metaphors from these fishing terms, he goes to a family tree, family line kind of thing, and, and uses actually the birthing process, which is, is interesting. And he's, it's not a reflection on women. He's just using this as an illustration. He starts first with desire, and he says, hey, it all starts with desire. And desire is now a woman. Temptation is a woman. And, and what he says is desire is nurtured. This temptation, if it gets nurtured, and think like a pregnancy. It's a vivid picture. Care for, protect. He says one day it's going to get, give birth. It will give birth. And it's so true when you think about evil desires and temptations. We can nurture those. We can think about them. We can dream about them. We can make plans about them. Hurt, revenge, bitterness, gossip, pride, coveting, bitterness, or lust, all these different things that you could do. And sometimes... 
It can go on for hours, days, weeks, months, years, nursing this. It's a vivid, vivid image. Are any of us, in a sense, going through this idea of pregnancy, holding on to them, making plans with temptations? nursing them along. He says at some point, the mother of evil desire will give birth to a daughter called sin. And sin is the act, the eating of the fruit, the taking the bait, the getting hooked. It's the giving in. It's failing the test to choose God and choose instead contrary to God. It's evil, right? It's, it's not just issues. It's, it's wrong. It's not just child rearing. It, and this daughter called sin, it's fascinating. He goes right through this thing. He says, desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. The thing is about sin, it doesn't take very long to grow up. Sin grows up overnight. And the granddaughter, or the grandson, I don't know, is born, and it's death. And that's how it happens. And once sin has been chosen, death is immediately born. I mean, that's nothing like what you think the family line should be like, right? James is not saying in this passage a Christian loses salvation. He's not talking about soteriology, the study of salvation, and oh, you've done that, now it's death. And he's talking about the progression that happens of temptation to sin that brings death. And this death is about the effects of sin. It brings death everywhere, our connection with God. There's there is a relationship there that can't be broken, but the fellowship can be. You ever feel that death when you're like, yeah, how do I talk to God now? What am I going to say to God now? Now, God hasn't stopped. God is still right there, but we feel the death. How do we go back to him? How do we talk to him? Death in relationships, death with spouse, with children, with friends, with work, with life, and it just starts to bleed out into everything. That's how it all comes together. The thing is, although James stops right there, the Bible talks a lot about this idea of sin and temptation and death. It's interesting, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says that Jesus was tempted in every way but did not give in to sin. Jesus had desires. Those desires came, but he said no. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, how did he say no? It says no temptation has taken any of us except what is common to us all encouraging verse we all struggle with temptation but God is faithful and will give us a way out of that temptation there is a path out of temptation but it's it's kind of a different path than what this world would say this world would say hey I got a self-help book for you 
if you do these five steps, if you do this, if you do that, there's only one path out of this, and it's not making vows to stop. It's really coming to the cross. And we sing about the cross of Christ, and we say, oh, the, the, the cross of Christ is great because it can wash away our sin, which it does. But the cross of Christ also does something else. Jesus proved we can do it. We could live a life choosing Christ or choosing God's plan. We can live that life. The cross destroyed the power of sin over us. We can actually choose to be for God and not say, oh, I've got no power to resist. The cross of Christ gives us that power. You know, sermons like these are so uncomfortable for all of us. For the preparation, for you guys hearing it, I would imagine some of us in this room right now are hip deep in temptation, overcome by sin. I'm not looking up. I'm just looking down. Um, And you can't seem to stop it. And uh, you've been blaming people for a long time or you've just been lying about it. Maybe blaming even God. I wonder, I suspect possibly that the Holy Spirit is um, moving, convicting, and he's saying it's time for you to say the buck stops here. I'm not blaming God anymore. I'm not blaming others. I've sinned, I've done evil. At at our church, we're real committed to this idea of confession. We're big fans of it. Um, It's the only path out is the cross, and he says, confess your sins, and you'll experience the power of the cross. Confession. And some of you are terrified right now to confess, and uh, I get that. I feel that every time I have to confess. It is the scariest thing in the world. I don't know what it is about confessing. You guys know what I mean? Like you literally have to tell somebody I was wrong and I did evil. Why is that so terrifying? It's a mystery to me. It is so scary to tell somebody I'm messed up or I whatever. We'll blame others rather than own it. It's interesting, over the years, I have seen more healing happen in relationships. People have talked about going to counselors and going to, you know, psychiatrists and psychologists, and uh, they have talked more about how The power of confession has brought healing in an hour than all their appointments that never worked. Because what happens when you're in a relationship and somebody ends up just saying, I'm wrong. I hurt you. I did evil. There's something about that that is healing. 
There's something about someone saying, I gave in to temptation. I see how it is sin, and I see the death it has brought, and I'm so sorry. When somebody says that and says the book stops here, it's when life actually starts. If sin, temptation leads to sin, and sin leads to death, confession brings life. Just as powerful, in fact, more powerful than death. Because the life that comes from the cross of Christ renews it all, restores lives. It's interesting that this is what James wants these young Christians to know. One of the first things he wants them to know. The Christian life is about understanding the power of temptation, our role in it, and owning it, and saying the buck stops here. Not an easy message, but it brings life. It brings freedom. And, and if your heart is pounding and you are sensing that God is saying, you need to confess this morning, um, go to someone who's spiritually mature, more mature than you, far more mature, that understands uh, accountability and grace. And <laughs> I don't with all my stuff, Jesus. I'm like, I think I did. Um, Let me pray.